All right, we're ready for Jeremiah chapters 26 to 29. And let's look at our outline as to where we've been and where we are going. Three major sections to the book of Jeremiah. There is the national section, the message to Judah, the personal section, and then the international section. We are still in the national section, though we're making some headway through the book. And we've looked at the condemnation of the nation generally and then the leaders specifically. And we are in the captivity section. Uh, there's deals, that first major section concerning the message to Judah is the condemnation. They're going into captivity because of that. And then there's the restoration section. We begin the restoration, uh, I'll cover the restoration section next time. I think you'll find if you, this is your, your probably is not, but if this is your first a serious study through Jeremiah, you will enjoy uh, the narrative found in 34 and 35 concern, or through 45, that is Jeremiah's personal uh, section, his personal suffering. And then we have then following that with the nation's section that we've seen in every prophet, uh, nearly every prophet. So anyway, that's where we are. We're talking about captivity primarily. Uh, we're looking at the end t- uh, period, the period right at the end of the southern kingdom of Judah. At the point that this, these prophecies are dated, by the way, and we'll give dates to that as we go along in our study tonight. Um, but be that as it may, we're looking at the last, primarily the last four kings and, uh, that we're, we've been talking about. So those circled right here. So as we talk tonight, we'll be talking about Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah, those last three particularly. But we've been focusing on these last four, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim and Zedekiah, Zedekiah being the last of those kings when the nation finally collapses and falls. That is, Nebuchadnezzar uh, destroys the temple and they're taken fully into captivity. Now remember they went in in three groups and they're going to come back in, in groups, but they went away in three groups and we'll talk about those groups and those dates a little bit later. Now you're looking for um, this in your handout. So let's begin with a summary of these four chapters. What are these four chapters? And if you are looking at your questions for tonight and you don't have that filled out, then this is what you're looking for in the first four questions. Uh, what, what is the summary of these four, uh, first, uh, these four chapters? Well, chapter 26 deals primarily, this is not necessarily the chapter title that we will give it, but Jeremiah's faithfulness in spite of the danger and threats. He's threatened, his life is threatened. And yet he remains faithful to the message. He was given, we, we see another temple message as we saw in chapters 7 through 10. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about the difference in those temple messages. Is there a difference? Uh, but be that as it may, this is a temple message. And yet he's, his life is threatened and yet he presses on. We're going to learn a little bit about preaching from chapter 26. And we'll stop and take time to list some practical things. Chapter 27, Babylon is a yoke upon Judah. And it's vividly demonstrated with the, uh, a physical yoke that is, he makes at God's direction and puts around his neck. And sends a message to the nations around, and particularly to Judah, that Babylon is a yoke upon Judah. As, and the other nations as well. But chapter 28 is a very short chapter, and chapter 28 is, raises the question about who is a true prophet. And that is, is it Jeremiah or Hananiah? Who is the true prophet? One says the prophet, that the captivity is not going to last long, and the other one said it's going to last for 70 years. And so who's the true prophet? Well, we're going to find out. 
And so did the people of God find out. And then chapter 29 is a letter of Jeremiah to the captives that encompasses a number of principles, primarily uh, telling them to be good citizens while they're there. You're going to be there for a while. You're going to be there for 70 years. Um, but this is the, the, the discussion of the captivity. So all four chapters uh, could be wrapped together to talk about the captivity. And, and we've already noted that in our outline, that these are all focusing on the captivity. You're going into captivity because of sin. False prophets are saying the captivity is not going to last long. First, they said it wasn't going to happen. And now they're saying it's not going to last long. Uh, and then they're coming back quicker than, than Jeremiah the prophet had said. All right, now let's see how this all laces together. Uh, Starting back at 25, chapter 25, this was the section that deals with the fourth year of Jehoiakim, which would be 605 B.C., 605 or 606 B.C. And so here is Jeremiah's first 23 years uh, that he prophesied was summarized. Basically, I preached and you didn't listen. And that's what took place. And then furthermore, in chapter 25, there was the prediction that's made concerning God's people will spend 70 years and the Babylonian captivity, and then the fury of the Lord will fall upon the Gentile nations also is foretold and prophesied. All right, chapter 26 now fits in with that in this fourth year of Jehoiakim in uh, 605 B.C. We see Jeremiah's faithfulness in time of opposition and the danger. So three things we're going to notice in chapter 26. Let's look at the first seven verses. I simply label that, or Harkwriter does in his work, Jeremiah's sermon in the temple. Now this is another temple sermon. Uh, and you might make a note, if you can't remember, that chapters 7 through 10 dealt with the, the, uh, the temple sermon, uh, or a temple sermon. Some think, not that it's the same time, no one that I know of thinks that, but some think that the sermon preached here is the same sermon that's just being repeated from chapters 7 through 10, and that we're given basically a summary, not the full details, and I think perhaps that's possible. But there is this difference in the sermons. The, the sermon that was preached earlier under Josiah's leadership did not get the severe reaction that it does at this point. Same sermon, and whether it's the same sermon, it comes out the same in the end. He, he, uh, if it's not basically, the, if, if he had notes he was preaching, which he was preaching by inspiration, but if he had an outline, it's basically the same outline or it's very, uh, very uh, structured, very similar to the previous sermon. But it gets different reaction. And there's something practical that we learn from that. You, you, in the same congregation, you can preach a sermon this year and three years later preach the identical same sermon from the same outline, make the same points, give the same illustration, and suddenly people are upset about that. Now, why is that? Well, it may be something going on in their life that it fits where it didn't fit before. It rubs the, 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 the wrong way now where it didn't before. Maybe it's dealing with something going on in their life that wasn't going on before. Whatever the case may be, we see that happen from time to time. So let's start at verse, verse 1 now, and let's work through this, uh, through this um, uh, sermon, and we'll, we'll see what the sermon is in just a moment. I want us to, in this, notice beginning at verse 2. Let's look at verse 1 first, but then I want us to look at 2 through 6. Three things, and you're looking for some of this in your outline. You're looking for what his job was. You're going to look for what his message was, and... Uh, you're going to see why he preached that message. Three things, all those three things are going to be answered right here on the screen. But in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, who reigned from 609 to 597 B.C., by the way, um, the king of Judah, this word of the Lord came, saying, Thus says the Lord, 
stand in the court of the house and speak to all the cities of Judah, which come to worship at the Lord's house, all the words that I command you to speak, do not diminish a word. Now let's stop there and look at verse 2. Here's his job. God has commissioned him, I want you to preach a temple sermon. I want you to go to the temple, I want you to preach. Notice words I've underlined in, on the screen before you. I want you to preach all the words that I command you and do not diminish a word. The New Testament would call that preaching the whole counsel of God, Acts 20 and verse 27. I want you to go to preach the whole message. Don't back off, don't slack off. Don't leave part of it out. I want you to preach the whole message, and I want you to preach everything I'm telling you to preach to them. Your job is to go preach the message, preach the whole thing, whether they like it or whether they don't. Now, at verse 3, we see the reason that he's to preach. You go preach this message. Now, God had already told him they're not going to listen uh, earlier. But perhaps everyone will listen and turn from the evil way that I may relent concerning the calamity which I've purpose to bring on them because of the evil of their doings. I see several things in that. We'll list them here more in a moment. But one of the things I see in that is the purpose of preaching is just perhaps maybe someone will have a change of heart and they'll turn in repentance. That's what preaching is supposed to produce, a change of heart, a change in your life. To say the least, even if we know that they're not going to listen, at least they had the opportunity. The message was preached. They had the opportunity to change. And now the ball is in their court. But I see something else at the end of verse 3. We'll say more about that in a moment. That, that uh, I may relent concerning the calamity. God doesn't want to bring punishment upon them. So I see God's grace and God's love. So Jeremiah, go preach to them. Go preach hard to them. And I want you to preach repentance. And I want you to preach about sin. But I want you to preach about my grace and my love. I want you to tell them that I will relent concerning the, the things that I'm planning to do to them if they'll just change. Now then, look at verse 4 to 6. Now this is not the whole, I, I gather this is not the whole sermon, but perhaps a summary of what he was to preach, not like what we saw in 7 through 10, that temple message earlier. So in verse 4 beginning, here, here is the message that he was to preach. And you shall say, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in the law, which I have set before you, to heed the words of my servant, the prophets, whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them, but you have not heeded, then I will make this house like shallow and will make the city accursed to all the nations of the earth. Now that was the message. Now maybe there was more. Maybe if, you, uh, if it is the same sermon, we could go back and read 7 to 10 and we got the message but it, this is basically a summary of that. So let's go back and see what he said. Again, if you will not listen to me, if, if you're not like it's been for the last 23 years, if you're not going to listen, remembering that I sent prophets to you rising up early, suggesting the urgency and the importance of the message as we noted each time we've seen that phrase, then I'm going to make this like Shiloh. You might make it a marginal note if you don't already have one. At first, uh, first Samuel chapter 4 verses 10 through 11, or 1 through 11 for that matter, where uh, Shiloh was attacked and um, the, the, uh, t uh, the, covenant, the Ark of the Covenant was taken in the battle with the Philistines. Uh, and I think that's the point he's making, that there was utter destruction at Shiloh. So I'm going to make this place like Shiloh. Shiloh is, is no more at this point. That is, it's not the place uh, where God's uh, temple or tabernacle is residing and so this is going to be a place where the temple is going to be destroyed if you won't listen to me then this is going to be utterly destroyed and, and yet I'm holding out um, mercy 
Now, let's go back and begin at verse 8 now, back to our outline. Jeremiah's arrested, and he's, he's accused of being worthy of death. Now, this is, uh, Jeremiah's been mistreated, but, but uh, to go to this point, we haven't seen it quite this severe thus far in the book. Beginning at verse 8, uh, or rather, let, let's uh, back up to verse 7. So the priest and... Um, so the priest and the prophets and all the people heard the message that he was speaking. And now what happened beginning at verse 8, that when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking, uh, had made an end of the commandment to him to speak to all the people, that the priest and the prophets and all the people seized him and said, you, are surely, uh, you will surely die. Here's the problem they had. Look at verse 9. For you prophesied that we'll be like unto Shiloh. Well, make a marginal note if you don't have one, that what he's done is he's contradicted the majority of the prophets, chapter 23, 16 and 17. The majority of the prophets said they're not going into captivity and Jerusalem will not be destroyed. So he's in a minority. Now you keep that in mind, that's a very practical thing to keep in mind as we, uh, as we live our lives because what we're saying to people is in the minority. The majority is against what we may teach. And perhaps you've co uh, confronted that, that most of the world or most of the brethren or most of don't agree with you. I don't care. That's what they would say to Jeremiah. Most of the prophets disagree with you. He has contradicted the majority of the prophets. And yet they said, you said we're going to be like Shiloh. And uh, all the people gathered together against, uh, against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. Now beginning at verse 10 now, we have the princes of Judah come along. Now, had they not come along, perhaps things would not have fared as well with Jeremiah. When they heard these things, they came down to the house to the new gate of the Lord's house. The gate was a place where official business would be conducted, Proverbs uh, 31, 23 would so suggest. And the priest and the prophet spoke to the princes. The princes are, are seemingly those that would conduct um, civil affairs, uh, civil law affair, affairs. And notice that the priest and the prophets cast their whole argument against Jeremiah on a civil matter, and they don't mention religious things. That's interesting to me. Uh, look at verse 11. They spoke to the princess, saying, This man deserves to die, for he's prophesied against this city, and you've heard it in your ears. They don't make a mention of religion. They didn't make a mention he accused us of sin, that we didn't listen to the word of the Lord. They said, he's prophesied against this city. This is a civil matter. Y'all need to deal with him. <laughs> Jeremiah spoke to all the princes and he said, well, the Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against the city and the words that you've heard it. And then notice what he does. Here's something we learn. He said, therefore, amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. That the Lord will relent concerning the doom that he's pronounced against you. He didn't back off. Jeremiah did not back off. He didn't soften his message. He didn't change his message. He just plowed on with his message. They, and they get the picture. He said, you're going to be like Shiloh. And they said, well, you deserve to die. And then they called the civil leaders together and said, this man's preaching against this place. And y'all need to deal with him. Y'all need to put him to death. Jeremiah said, I'm just preaching the word of the Lord. And by the way, the word of the Lord says, what you need to do is to mend your ways and your doings. He didn't back off. He didn't soften his message. His message didn't change. But interesting at verse 14, but as for me, I'm in your hand. Do with me what is good and proper. I, I, I'm willing to face whatever consequence comes with the message. If that means I die, I die. If that means you put me in prison, put me in prison. 
you let me go, let me go. But if you want to kill me, just go ahead and kill me. It doesn't matter. I'm preaching the message anyway. More about that in a moment. Uh, now let's get verse 15 down through verse 19, and then we're going to uh, wind the chapter up. In 15 to 19, notice that, but know for certain that if you put me to death, you're bringing innocent blood upon yourselves. Now verse 16 is where I wanted to start. The princes said to the priest, this man does not deserve to die. In other words, there's no legal ground for this. Y'all have no legal ground for putting this man to death. He's done nothing wrong. Now, you may not like what he says, but there's no legal grounds for this. They're, they're dealing with le legal matters. The princes are dealing with legal matters. Well, the elders, uh, that is the older among the, the, the Jews, they spoke up and they said, and they said, well, you know, let's talk about Micah, the prophet in the days of Hezekiah, that he basically preached the same message. By the way, that's about 100 years before. About 735, 700 B.C., contemporary with Isaiah. Now, verse 18 gives a summary of what his message was, and basically his message was the same. And he said, did Hezekiah uh, ever put him to death? And the answer, of course, was no, he didn't do that. that. Did he not fear the Lord and seek the Lord's favor? And the Lord relented concerning the doom that was pronounced, but we are doing a great evil against ourselves. You see what? We're doing, if we put Jeremiah to death, then, then we're building a case against ourselves. Well, the third section to finish that chapter, the prophet Uriah was put to death by Jehoiakim. But yet Jeremiah was ultimately spared. So there was a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah. And uh, basically he preached the same message. And with Jehoiakim, the king, verse 21 uh, in interest of time, I'm just going to summarize 21, 22, and 23, uh, that uh, when, when the pressure was on, he fled for safety, went to Egypt. But Jehoiakim sent men to go get him and brought him back and had him killed and put his body in the graves of the common people, which was a display of disrespect for the prophet. Got no respect for him at all. He may be a prophet and he's prophesying what I don't like, but I have no respect for him. Nevertheless, the hand of Ahikam was with Jeremiah. He was a high official, by the way, under Josiah. Uh, 2 Kings 22, verses 12 to 14 tell us. And uh, he's an, uh, he, he, with, he was an officer, again, under Josiah. And... Uh, he was with Jeremiah so that they, he did not give them into the hands of the people to put him to death. So God spared him um, from death. So what do we see in chapter 26? Jeremiah's faithfulness in time of opposition and danger. He preaches the temple sermon. He's threatened and uh, uh, he presses on. Now let's pause for a moment and, and listen to things that we know about Jeremiah's preaching. You say, well, you don't preach, so you don't really need to know about this. Well, you listen to preaching and you make demands about preaching. Where you go and where you attend is making demands. If, if you leave a place because the preaching isn't what it ought to be, you're making demands that it be whatever you seek when you go somewhere else. And so you need to make demands about preaching. So what do we know about preaching from this chapter? His preaching was that thus saith the Lord. He preached the word of the Lord, not his own opinion. Jeremiah didn't say, here's what I like, here's what I don't like, here's how I feel. 
he preached to thus saith the Lord. He preached it all, verse 2. Verse 3, he preached when they didn't listen. I won't tell you, sometimes it gets discouraging when you think nobody's listening. Nobody's paying any attention. Nobody's listening. Nobody's making any changes. You just, I'm, I'm just, might as well quit because nobody cares. But he preached when people didn't listen. Verse 3, he believed in the power of the message that perhaps this message that I'm preaching could cause some of the hard-hearted people who haven't listened for 23 years might just listen and you might change. He preached change and repentance. He preached the grace of God. He preached the love of God. He didn't back off or change the message. It's very tempting to stick your finger to the wind to see which way the wind's blowing and go in that direction. Jeremiah didn't do that. It's very easy when opposition is, is coming that to soften the message so you don't upset the people. Jeremiah said, I, I see you're upset and I know you're trying to kill me, but let me tell you, you need to amend your ways. <laughs> Didn't back off. And in verse 14, he's willing to face whatever consequences. If that means you kill me, then just kill me. You do with me. I'm in your hand. Do with me what you want. Wherever you are, whatever stage of life you're in, it may be here, it may be somewhere else in another state. You need to demand that kind of preaching. You need to demand that kind of preaching. All right, let's move to chapter 27 now. And we have some textual issues in chapter 27. Um, the date is going to be about 593 B.C. And you can put that at the beginning of, uh, in the fourth year of Zedekiah, 593 B.C. And we're going to see three things in that, chapter 26, 27, uh, 27 28, 29. So let's focus, first of all, that Babylon is described as God's yoke upon Judah and the surrounding nations. Three things we're going to see here. Uh, let's start with the textual problem. Uh, if you're reading from the New King James, American Standard King James, you'll find in the beginning of the year, uh, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim, yeah. But those of you who have the English Standard, you're going to see it say in the reign of Zedekiah. So what's going on? Perhaps this is a copyist error. It is talking about Zedekiah, not Jehoiakim, even though your text may say that. Now, it appeared that way in the text, I recognize, but there's two or three explanations. The, I think the most logical one is that this perhaps is a copyist error and that it was taken from chapter 26 in verse 1 is where the, where the scribe may have picked that up. But you say, well, then why, why isn't it then Jehoiakim? Because the context deals with Zedekiah, like at verse 3, the end of verse 3. You're going to see it again at verse 12. So it's obviously, as you read the context, you can't make this fit Jehoiakim. It fits Zedekiah. It's seemingly a copyist error. Now, Matthew Henry gives another concept. He says the yoke was made in the reign of Jehoiakim, and it was sent in the days of Zedekiah. That's kind of a weak explanation, but that's his explanation of that. Jameson Fawcett and Brown said the prophecy was given 15 years before it was published. And therefore, that accounts for the difference. But the English Standard, I think, has tried to catch up with that copyist error and correct that. And it, you, you are reading, you don't even see Jehoiakim mentioned in verse 1, those of you who have that. So we're going with Zedekiah. 
If you think it's Jehoiakim, then you insert that. Every time I say Zedekiah, you just put in your mind and see how that works. Uh, so let's see what happens here. A message is sent to surrounding nations. And so let's see what the message was. Thus says the Lord, verse 2, make bonds and yokes and put them on your neck. That is, make literal yokes. And like you'd put up on the oxen, you put these yokes over you to symbolize being under the rule and the reign. And so you put that on your neck. And send them to the kings of, and you might underline, Edom, Moab, Ammonite, Tyre, Sidon, that come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. And so was he sending some, something that he's meaning send the literal yoke or wear the yoke and then send the message about the yoke? I don't know, don't care. The message goes back to them. And so here's the message basically in verses, uh, starting at verse 4. Say to them that uh, I have, uh, the, uh, starting at verse 5, that basically God is the sovereign ruler. Let's see what he says. That I've made the, uh, with my, my great power, my outstretched arm, uh, I have made the man and the beast and the earth, etc., and have given it to whom it seemed proper to me. In other words, I've made everything and I use it to my purpose. By the way, that's a statement of God's power, but it's also a statement of how providence works. God uses his creation for his purpose. That's a strong statement of providence. It reminds me of Revelation 4. Uh, be that as it may, I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. In other words, I've given your lands to these kings that he mentioned. I've given all this land, and I'm allowing Nebuchadnezzar to rule over you. So the nations shall serve him, uh, and then many nations... And great kings shall make him uh, serve them. Uh, I missed a phrase I wanted to hit. Verse 7. That you're going to serve him and his sons until the time of his land comes. In other words, you're going to serve him until I'm ready for you to quit serving him. And then he's going to serve others. That's the point. Now, look at verse 8. And it shall be that the nations and the kingdoms that will not serve him... And will not put the, themselves under the yoke of king of Babylon, that I will punish with a sword and a famine and a pestilence, and I'll consume them. Now, he's saying, you need to put yourselves, he's saying this to the other nation. You, you put yourself under his rule, you submit to his rule, and if you don't, I'm going to punish you. Because I've given all these nations to him for, for punishment. They said, don't listen to your, to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your soothsayers, and your sorcerers. And what they're saying to you is you shall not serve the king of Babylon. Now, I won't spend a great deal of time upon this, this but verse 9, what's the difference in these? Well, these are all false teachers, false prophets. There was the diviner who looks for signs and omens. Uh, some suggest they'd look for that and sticks on the ground or the entrails of a sacrifice. And so they're looking for some sign to determine what the future would be. There were the dreamers who interpreted dreams. There were the enchanters who would look to the clouds. There were the... Uh, uh, sorcerers who use charms and spells to discern that which was unknown. And so all of these are using various methods, none of which were by God. And they're saying, don't submit to the king of Babylon. He said, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them at all. Uh, they're all wrong. For they prophesy a lie to you. But the nation that brings their neck under the king of Babylon, reading in verse 11, I will let them remain in their own land. And they shall till it and they shall, shall dwell in it. So the message to the nations, you're looking for this in your handout, 
the message to the surrounding nation was, submit to the king of Babylon and it'll be well with you. I've given your nations into his hands. That tells me God's the ruler over all the nations. Now, there's a short section, 12 to 15. There's a warning also given to Zedekiah. That's the last king. He's mentioned by name. That's why we think that's Zedekiah back at verse 1. I also spoke to Zedekiah. What was the message to Zedekiah? Bring your neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon. Don't rebel. Notice the question in verse 13. Why will you die, you and your people, by sword and a famine? In other words, if you don't submit, you're going to, you're going to suffer. So submit to him. Don't listen to the words of the prophets that say to you, you should not serve so they, because they're prophesying a lie. Uh, and, and they're prophesying false to you. So, so don't listen to them. Submit to him. All right, same message to Zedekiah. Now, 16 to 22, to finish that chapter, here's the priest and the people are also given a warning. What's that? Well, same thing about the yoke. So notice, uh, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy, behold, the vessels of the Lord's house will now shortly be brought back from Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. They were taken in 597 B.C., by the way. There's already been two, two invasions at this point, one in 605 and one in 597. There's a third one pending. And vessels have already been taken. Not everything, but vessels have already been taken. And prophets were saying, false prophets were saying, they're about to bring those vessels back. He said, oh, no, 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 they're not about to bring them back. Don't listen to them. Verse 18, if they are prophets, and if the word of the Lord is with them, then let them make intercession to the Lord, and that the vessels of the Lord's house uh, uh, of the king of Judah that are at Jerusalem will not go to Babylon. Let them, we'll put this to the test and find out if they're true prophets. Let them make a plea to the Lord that what's left in the temple is not going to go, go to Babylon. Let's see if that happens. Let's see if that happens. So concerning the pillars of the sea and uh, concerning the sea and concerning the carts and concerning the remaining vessels of the city, that when Nebuchadnezzar comes uh, and he, that he did, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, did not take, when he carried away captive Jeconiah, that's Coniah, Jehoiakim, uh, that he is going to take these vessels that remain, verse 21, in the house of the king of Judah to Jerusalem, and they'll be carried away to Babylon. Jeremiah said, my prophecy is he's going to take them. But they're saying that what's there is coming back, so let's let them prophesy. Let them make the plea to the Lord if they're true prophets and see if what's left is going to be taken or not, and let's see who's the true prophet or not. Well, you know what happened. So what was the point of chapter 27? Babylon is described as God's yoke. God's using Nebuchadnezzar as a tool, and I'm putting everyone under his yoke and under his burden. And so submit to him. Now, chapter 28 is a very short chapter, so let's get this one quickly. Chapter 28, we've got time to get it and, and get into 29 and finish, I think. So we have Jeremiah versus Hananiah, and who is the true prophet? Which one of those is the true prophet now? So you're looking for what did he prophesy, Hananiah prophesied, and why did Jeremiah say amen to that? Because he, what he prophesied was not true. Why did he say amen? It's interesting. Let's see. Short chapter. Let's get the prophecy, verses 1 to 4. What Hananiah predicts is that the return of the exiles, those that have done gone away, are coming back within two years. So the date of this prophecy is about 593 B.C. It happened in the, in the same year 
the last year we'd been talking about was 593. So here's what he, he said. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts that I have broken. I'm reading it verse 2. The yoke of the king of Babylon with it. Two full years, I will bring back to this place the vessels of the Lord's house uh, that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, took away. Now, that's exactly what Jeremiah had said. Let them, let them prophesy or, or make a plea that they're coming back. And here's a man that did that. Here was a prophet that said, they are coming back within two full years. And I will bring back to this place uh, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, with all the captives who went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. That was his prophecy. They're coming back within two years, and I've broken the yoke of Babylon. Jeremiah wants to talk about the yoke of, of Babylon. I've broken the, the yoke of Babylon, God said. Well, notice Jeremiah says something that seems a little strange to us. Then Jeremiah, the prophet, spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priest and the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. That means so be it. The Lord do so and the Lord perform your words which he has prophesied to bring back the vessel of the Lord's house and all who are carried away from Babylon to this place. That doesn't sound like Jeremiah does. What's he saying? He's doing two things. One, he's showing... This is not his main point, but he's showing, I'm not your enemy. When I prophesy about you going into Babylon, being there for 70 years, that's not going to come back uh, in the two short years. When I prophesy about that, I'm not against you. I wish what Hannah and I was saying was true. So be it. You say they're coming back two years. I wish they were. I wish they were. I can think of some false doctrines in that sense that if it were preached, I could say amen because I could wish it were true. Like once saved, always saved, amen. Wouldn't that be nice? Or that anybody and everybody who gets divorced could remarry so we didn't have to fool with all of that raising questions about is the marriage scripture or not? Amen. May that be so. And on down one line we could go. Just believe on the Lord and, and you'll be saved so you don't have to worry about those who haven't been baptized or on down the line, whatever doctrine. Amen, so be it. I wish it were true. That's what Jeremiah is saying. Now, but, 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 nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak to you in your hearing and the hearing of all the people. The prophets who've been before me, before you were, uh, before uh, of, of old prophesied, against the countries, against the kingdom, and etc. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the prophet, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one who, to whom the Lord has uh, truly sent. In other words, here's the test, Hananiah. You say they're coming back in two years? I wish that were true. But the test of a prophet is, if it comes to pass, he's a true prophet. Let's see. Let's give it two years and we'll see. Let's see what happens. If he was a true prophet. So now Hananiah re responds. Look at verse 10. He responds to the prophet. He took the yoke off of the prophet of Jeremiah's neck and he broke it to demonstrate that you're showing, uh, you're showing some vi uh, visual aid of the yoke. I'm going to show a visual aid of the breaking of the yoke. And he broke the yoke and said in the presence, even so I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. 
from all the nations in the space of two years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Now let's get 12 to 17 to finish that chapter. Jeremiah charges Hananiah with teaching rebellion against the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah had broken the yoke. And what Jeremiah said, you may, broke the, you may break, I'm going to paraphrase verse 13, you may break the yoke of wood, but what you've just created is a yoke of iron. That's powerful. Because God said, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all the nation. In other words, you, ain't, you can't break that. When God puts a yoke, my, my visual aid was a yoke of wood. God's yoke is a yoke of iron, and you cannot break it. And all the nations may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, he said, uh, the Lord has not sent you. You cause the people to trust in a lie. Look at verse 16 and verse 16. You have taught rebellion against the Lord. Footnote. All false doctrine encourages rebellion against the Lord. All false doctrine encourages rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. He suffered punishment because of being a false prophet. All right, let's finish up. Let's go to chapter 29. Jeremiah sends a letter to the captives, and we're interested in the contents of that letter, and we have time to get that, I think. Um, basically, what chapter 29 is saying uh, is... You've got false prophets among you in, in, in the captivity, just like we had over here in Jerusalem. They had that. But the main point of the letter is peaceful submission. Peaceful submission. Because you're going to be there a while. God has sent you to Babylon. You're going to be there for 70 years. Don't rebel. It's just going to make it worse. Just peaceful submission because you're going to be there a while. So, so settle down in, in the land where you are. Conduct your business affairs, get married, raise your families, because you're going to be there for 70 years. That's basically it. So let's, let's quickly make our way through this. Verses 1 to 7. He sent a letter um, to those that were in captivity. Basically, the letter starts at verse 4. Uh, and the, the letter says, basically, be good citizens. Um, he said, build houses, verse 5, plant gardens, take wives, in other words, raise your families, and seek peace, verse 7 where I have caused you to be carried and pray to the Lord for in its peace, you will have peace. When, when you seek peace of, with those that are around you, you will have peace from God. Now, starting at verse eight. So, so settle down, be peaceful, be good citizens. Beginning at verse eight, you're, he assures them you're going to be there for 70 years. That's why you need to settle in. It's not that you're going to be there for two full years, but you're going to be there for 70 years. And so your diviners and your prophets and your dreamers that say otherwise, they're false. They prophesy falsely. For the Lord has said, verse 10, you might underline first, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you. Now, this is something about the grace of God and the love of God. Look at verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. God has thoughts toward us, just like he did toward them. I know what I'm thinking about you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you future and a hope. A couple of things about verse 11. 
I take that to include the Messiah. And so I mark that as a messianic passage. Uh, that's a figure of speech of one through two, meaning this is hope and uh, give you a future and a hope. It's a hopeful future, a future of hope. Um, and the future of hope would be their return, but ultimately in the Messiah. And you're going to call upon, you're going to seek me with all of your heart. You might underline that at verse 13. And I will be found by you, and uh, I'm going to take care of you, and I will bless you. So you're going to be there for a while. You're going to be there for 70 years, and, and when I'm done with you there, then I have good thoughts about what I want to do with you. I'm going to bring you back. God has thoughts he will fulfill. Verses 15 to 19. There's going to be punishment on those that are left in Jerusalem. Those who stayed in Jerusalem and weren't carried captives, they may think, well, you know, we fared well because we weren't carried away. So beginning at verse 15, verse 16 would summarize, Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king and who sits on the throne concerning the people who dwell in the city that didn't go into captivity, I will send you sword and famine and a pestilence and will make them like rotten figs that cannot be eaten. They are so bad. It's not that the good ones went away and good ones stayed behind or the bad ones went away and the good ones stayed behind is what I meant to say. Uh, they're going to be punished as well. Because, verse 19, they have not heeded the word of the Lord. Now, beginning at verse 20, uh, let's get verse 20 to 23. The false prophets are going to be delivered to uh, the king of Babylon. Without reading that section, I want to get to something else. Basically, uh, the false prophets are summarized at verse 20 because the lying words that they have uttered, they're going to be punished because they've told the people they're not going into captivity or they're coming back. Or it's not going to be all that bad. Now, finally... He responds to Shimei's letter from Babylon. Shimei sent a letter to Zephaniah, the temple authority, telling him basically, uh, I would urge you to do what your predecessor uh, Jehoiada did and take upon you the role of the priest. In other words, assume that role. And what I want you to do is, what he encourages you to do is I want you to punish Jeremiah uh, and put him in prison and in stocks, verse 26. And therefore, why have you not reproved Jeremiah, verse 27, um, that because he makes himself a prophet to you, and he has sent to Babylon saying that ba the captivity is long, and so you need to plant gardens and dwell here and marry and raise our families and just settle down. That's what he's telling us over here. So why aren't y'all putting him in prison over there because he's, he's stirring up trouble? And so Jeremiah responds by saying, look at verse 31. Send all the captives saying, uh, concerning Shimei, because he prophesied to you, I have not sent him nor caused him uh, to come, but you trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will punish him. And he shall not have anyone to dwell among the people, nor shall he see any good, nor will I uh, do for my, uh, that I will do for my people, because he's taught rebellion against the Lord. Here's that key again. In other words, he's a false prophet. He's going to be punished for that because he taught rebellion. All false teachers are teaching rebellion against the Lord. Now, that gets us through chapter 29. We're going to shift gears next time, and we're going to talk about um, the return from captivity. We've been primarily focusing on captivity. Those that are in captivity, those that are going into captivity, those who are prophesying it's going to only last for about two years, and then it's coming back, uh, they're coming back. We're focused on the captivity tonight. But in the middle of all of that, two invasions have already taken place. A third one is pending. 
And Jeremiah keeps preaching and he keeps preaching and he doesn't change his message. And he keeps preaching and he keeps preaching and he's threatened and he still doesn't change his message. We're going to stop right there on that note.